Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. This isn't a concert. Like, we are leading people into the throne room, and I'm just so thankful for this team. Can you give it up for our team? They work so hard. I mean, we have incredible teams everywhere. Our production guys in the back, I mean, just making it happen. Um, we got we got people, we got uh, all of our people with the kids, all of our Voyagers is what we call them, they're back there. And just so you know, if you've never been to Voyage Church, we don't have a babysitting service. We teach them the principles of God. They're learning worship. So one of our... Uh, one of our Voyagers workers was back there a few weeks ago, and they said, I saw kids lifting their hands and worshiping, and it was challenging me in my worship. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, and he actually said, you have to become like one of these if you want to get into the kingdom. And so we say something around here at Voyage Church, you're going to have to get childlike in your faith to get into the kingdom, but we got to stop being childish. We can all be childish, let's be honest, okay? Um, and so I'm just so thankful. There's so many people who work so hard. We were blessed. All of our serve crews were really excited because we got to get here Friday night or Friday morning. We set all this up, and uh, Miss Fleming, the principal, she is amazing. Uh, just such a blessing to our church, allowing us to meet here. And uh, they let us leave all of our stuff set up. So normally our team gets here crazy, crazy early on Sunday. There's a little bit less work um, today, and so... That was amazing. But I, I do encourage you, if you're here, maybe you've been coming for a while, you want to know kind of what the next step is of um, building relationships. I'm watching new friendships be built because people are serving together. And um, so I, I encourage you if you're interested in that. If you are a first-time guest, I just want to say again, thank you so much for choosing to spend your Sunday, um, your Easter Sunday with us. I know you could have gone anywhere. You could have gone to Grandma and Grandpa's church. That probably is a little bit nicer than this building um, and might have been around a little bit longer. But I promise you this, we might not have the best. Um, we might not have, you know, the, 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 the sharpest or cleanest, and I know the bathroom might smell like some five-year-olds peed in it earlier this week, but we will lift the name of Jesus high. He will be honored, and I'm just watching God wreck people's lives week after week. I'm watching people uh, just transformed by Christ, and so we're super excited for what God's doing, and I'm really excited um, to preach this message again. First time in the history of Voyage Church that we've had two services, so I've kind of already gone through this. I kind of know that it went over really well, and so um, if the Spirit of God doesn't speak to you, um, then you should check your heart, um, but I'm just kidding, not really, but I want you to know here at our church, I talked with a man in the back after the 9 a.m., there's two things at our church that you can be guaranteed will happen when you show up, worship in the Word. Um, yes, we, we love to have fun and relationships, but at the end of the day, if we're not worshiping the King... And our worship isn't rooted in biblical truth. Like, you're not going to watch, we're not going to sing a song that isn't tied to truth. But then we're going to preach the word of God. And this is what I believe, and, and I think we see this in scripture, that worship prepares the ground of your heart so that the seed of the word can go in. And the Bible tells us this, when God's word goes out, it cannot return void. I used to tell teenagers all the time, I was a youth pastor for a long time, hey, bro, you might not like my preaching, sitting there like, my mom made me come, but when the word goes out, it's like a seed, and you can't return void, meaning you can't unpluck it, like it's there, it's been put in the soil of your heart, you can be angry for the next 20 years, but it's going to grow, and God's going to get a hold of you, because he has a plan and a purpose for your life, amen, and so just know that the word is going to be preached, and um, so what I'm going to do before I begin to preach, I'm going to pray, because Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the leader and guider of all truth. So I'm just a vessel. Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us, okay? And we need him to do that today. So you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce to our heart. 
And Lord, because it's alive, I thank you that right now, as your word is preached and declared, God, it can touch each and every person in their unique season of life, whatever they're going through, struggling with. God, some people are just, um, uh, they're feeling called to step out in faith in a greater way. God, wherever they might find themselves, God, your word will intersect their life right here. And God, it will position us to be able to leave different than the way we walked in. Jesus, thank you for what you did over 2,000 years ago. We honor you. All hail King Jesus, because you are worthy, and we pray it in your name. And everybody said, you know, as we were singing that song, um, there's that statement where it's like, uh, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And I've always had this thought when I would read that scripture that says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and we know that right now, as God is in heaven, the Bible tells us that there's seraphim, which are these angels with six wings. Honestly, like, I always tell people, if one showed up in the room, like, you'd probably pee your pants. Like, these things are crazy looking, but they fly around the throne of God, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stop day and night. That's what they do all the time. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so my challenge to people is, look, you can choose not to surrender to Jesus now. That is your choice. But you can choose to willingly do it now and spend all of eternity with him, or you will be forced. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But when he rides in, when the, when the sky cracks open, because Jesus is coming back, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is coming back. He rose again, but then he's coming again. And I'm just letting you know that if you wait and you are forced down, to like literally force to your knees and force to say Jesus Christ is Lord. At that point, you've been forced to say it, but you won't spend eternity with him. And that I'd, some people would be like, why are you saying that? Because the gospel is so good and it's so loving and it's so gracious that it's offered to us right here and right now. We can choose. God's not going to force the, the, the message of Jesus and the life that we can live on us, but there will be a day where it's everybody just has to do it because we are made by God and for God and all of creation will have to cry out that he is Lord when he returns. And so, man, if you're in the room today and you've never done it willingly, don't think that, like, you, you've got it figured out. Man, today is the day of salvation. Amen. Today is the day. And I pray that after we read the word together and you see the goodness of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you ever went to church growing up and felt bad. The gospel means good news. I went to church a lot of times. I felt like preachers were preaching a lot of bad news. And you just, like, leave feeling bad about yourself. But it's good news. This is good news. This is the hope of the world. And so my prayer is after you hear the message of Jesus today, that it literally wakes you up in your spirit to say, that is good news, and I want that for my life. Maybe you know Jesus, and maybe today is a day that you're reminded, um, and I do think that God's going to remind a lot of us um, of what he did. So uh, I'm going to read in Mark 16 first. I want to read uh, this uh, perspective of um, Resurrection Sunday. And I'm going to jump around, so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along, but if you don't, we'll have it on the screens, but I encourage you to write it down, okay? Here's why you write it down. You write it down so that you can get in the Word this week, because if you come to church and expect someone to preach and like, oh, I heard the Word of God one time, you're going to get sick spiritually, because if you ate only on Mondays, you're going to get sick in the natural. That ain't how that works. People literally, we've, we've consumed this thing called Christianity where we actually think we can just show up and receive for 30 minutes on a Sunday and I'm good. No, 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 no. You will never thrive in your faith. This is, the Bible says we gather together to be spurred on to love and good works so that we can go out, we can continue to dig into the word and that we can be the church. We don't come to church. We show up and gather as the church to go be the church outside. Amen? And so that's what this is about. So let's see uh, what happened um, on this day over 2,000 years ago, what allows us to show up in this room and have victory? Mark 16, 1 through 7. 
Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Poor planning. On, uh, on the way there, they asked each other, um, verse 4, but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. I just want to let someone know today that when you spend your life trying to figure it out on your own, and you're like, how, do, how is this going to happen? Literally, Jesus can do the work that is not possible for you to do. The women would have never been able to roll the stone. The soldiers would have not rolled the stone aside for them. Be like, hey, can we just please go put some spices on his body? No, not happening. It's been sealed. And they had a unique way that they sealed, um, and specifically because of Jesus and everything that happened, the Jews made sure, uh, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, that Jesus, his tomb was sealed, not to be opened. Okay, so the tomb is open. They walk, in, they, walk, they walk up, they see the tomb open, and look at verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, white, in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. Come on, somebody. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples. And then don't miss this because this is important for today. If you were here Friday night, you kind of already have a little bit of this picture. Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you before he died. If you don't know, as I mentioned earlier, Peter has denied Christ three times. Up to this moment, anything in Peter's mind when it comes to thinking about Jesus, his last encounter was Jesus locking eyes with him. And literally, he, he, he denies Christ. Jesus locks eyes with him. And now Jesus is dead, and they put his body in a tomb. And the disciples for three days are literally hiding out. We, we'll see some scriptures in a minute. They're behind locked doors. They're scared at what will happen to them if they're found out that they were the ones with Jesus for the past three years. And so Peter, his only, like, when he thinks of Jesus, he thinks about those moments of denial, that rooster crowing, and Jesus looking at him in his denial. And I love that the angel shows up, and the women hear from the angel, go and tell the disciples he's alive, including Peter. Including the one who thinks that they've done something that's unforgivable. The one who thinks he's already disqualified himself. And I just want you to know today that the assignment of heaven through Jesus was so strong that the angel, I know we grow up in church and you've been around and for God so of the world. He died for everybody. He did. But he died including for you. The angel said including Peter. In other words, I want to make sure today you don't walk away from Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we get sometimes this huge view of he, he, he resurrected and he, it was for all the world. It was, including you, including you, including those thoughts that you don't want to have anymore, including that, that, those past mistakes of the shame and regret that fill you, including you, Father, who look at your children and at times are going, man, I wish I would have done better, and is it too far gone, including you, Mother, who feel like, well, my, my husband left, and have I been good enough, including you, business owner, who thinks, man, have, have I made this decision, and my spouse supported me, and I just stepped out, and is it falling apart, including you, young person, high school, middle school, maybe a college student thinking like, man, I'm just kind of doing my thing, but it's including you for right here and right now. The assignment of heaven was intentional. When the angel spoke to Mary, it was tell the disciples, including Peter, including the ones who think that they might not have made it in, that surely that death couldn't have also been for me. 
And so we see that in the book of Mark, but I want to read to you the resurrection story now in John 20, and here's why. Um, the, I'll meet people in the faith, uh, or people not in the faith, as a person of faith, and um, I remember I had a humanities class in a community college I went to, and the guy literally, professor walked up first day, he walked into class, everybody was at their seats, I uh, just want everyone to know, welcome to humanities, whatever number it was, um, my main goal as a professor is I want to make sure that Christians know that they're ignorant and that what they believe is a fallacy. I was like, them is fighting words. Like, what are you, we're at a community college. Like, bro, go get a real job. You know what I mean? Like, just kidding, totally kidding. That was just my bad attitude then. But I was like, are you for real? Like, what is this? And as we would have dialogue, some heated dialogue throughout, um, I noticed that one of his big things he loved to go to was discrepancies in scripture. He's like, well, they just, look at John. John says this. Mark said three women showed up. John says one woman showed up. See, they can't even get their stories straight. And I'm like, well, here's the problem. First off, they're not writing this. They're not waking up every morning and be like, I'm keeping my diary following Jesus. These are young teenage boys. The oldest one when Jesus went to them was 18. Everybody else was under the age of 18. Jesus changed the world with a group of teenagers, y'all. That's why Sean and I spent so many years with youth, and we kind of tried to fight it, but the Lord just pushed us because this is what we got to do. This is our next assignment. But Jesus changed the world with young people. And so he, he would talk about the discrepancies, but if all of us walked out to Highway 90 right now, and stood on opposite sides of the road, and a huge wreck happened. A cop would come and take a statement from all of us. And I promise you there would be discrepancies in the story. And no one would be lying. But I could have heard a crash and picked my head up. Someone else could have been, like, pressing the, the, the button for walk across the road and literally see, like, hear brakes hitting and watch this car slide and collide. The statement would sound different, but it would be about the same event. The disciples weren't writing this along the way. It was after the fact when they realized, oh, my goodness, he just killed death. He's the resurrected Savior. We have to take account of this. And they began to write their experiences. And so as I read John, you might be like, why does that differ a little bit? It's because it's a different perspective about the same true event that happened, okay? And so John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, we're, we're right back in the same spot. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, like I said, there's all these unique things with the Gospels. So anytime you see the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Gospel of John, it's John talking about himself. He loved to say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's me. Right? So John never referred to himself as, he never said John. He just always, that's how he referenced himself. But it's really unique, um, not this has anything to do with the resurrection story, but uh, Mark is actually John Mark writing, and it's Peter's account, because from what we know, Peter wouldn't have known how to, to write. And so, um, at that point, and so he's actually telling John Mark the account. And what's interesting is when you look at the Gospel of Mark, Peter walking on water, if you don't know, Peter walked on water. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, it's not in the Gospel of Mark. And I find it interesting that I've found these things as I've studied Scripture that a lot of the Gospel writers will leave out these moments that really could elevate them because they were always wanting to make much of Jesus and less of themselves. John 3.33 says, I need less of me and more of him, right? And so um, when we see this throughout this, just know we're talking about John, okay? So uh, she ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. There it is. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both 
running. Now, pause. If you were here Friday night, we, we, we talked about um, Good Friday, uh, the, and it actually, Good Friday happened to fall on actual Jewish Passover, so we took communion together. It was such a special moment in this room. But one of the things that's really interesting about Peter and John being the ones who hear from Mary and take off before everyone else to the tomb is you can see Jesus, he's all-knowing, like he is God in the flesh. Before his death on, on, for Passover, it would have been Thursday night, he, when he was doing communion, he actually told Peter and John, hey, I'm sending you guys ahead. Go to a house. There's going to be a man with a water jar, and you're going to be in the upper room, which that's another conversation for another day because God does a lot of stuff in the upper room. But he sends them to an upper room, and he says, prepare the Passover meal. I find it interesting that he sends Peter and John ahead of the disciples to prepare the Passover meal. If you don't know about the Passover, you got the Jewish people there in Israel, and God is about to send the death angel over, and they've got to take the blood of the lamb. They've got to put it on their doorpost so that death will go over their house. And it's all a picture of God saying, one day I'm going to send a lamb. He's going to pour out his blood, and death will not hold you any longer. God began the story as he brought the Israelites out of captivity. And so here's Peter and John going to prepare the Passover meal. They're Jews. They know of this. They know that, yep, we, we you know, the, the, the Passover lamb, they know the story. They talk through it. They read through it, all of this. And then here they are on Sunday morning, bolting to an empty tomb for the first time that a Passover lamb ever came back to life. Never had it ever happened that a Passover lamb could have come back to life, but he was the once and for all, the final sacrifice. And so here they go, they take off running, and I love John. Remember, he's keeping himself obscure, but he's the one that Jesus loves, right? It says, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John's like, I won. Peter, slow, right? So John gets to the tomb first, and then look what happens. Verse 5, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So John gets there first, and he pokes his head into the tomb and looks, and he sees the linen that they would have wrapped Jesus' body in, but he kind of steps back, probably in bewilderment. His brain is processing, and I'll never forget, it was last year. We had not even moved yet to plant this church, and our team who, who, had, who was planning to move with us, I, I was in my car reading this story in tears, and God literally was preparing me a year ago to preach this for our first Easter. I remember texting him saying, I'm going to preach this on our first Easter. And I had this thought, could you imagine Peter and John Jesus, who they gave everything for, to follow for three years. He kept telling them he's going to die, but, like, just imagine, these guys quit everything. The Bible says they dropped their nets. At one point, one guy's like, hey, I need to go bury my father, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Like, they went on the grungiest, craziest tour as teenagers for three years ever. Jesus said, we ain't got no place to lay, lay our head. Like, I ain't got no place to sleep. Y'all just going to have to come. We're going to have to figure it out. These guys have been there every waking moment with Jesus, and he's gone. And for them, they're trying to grapple with this idea of he's gone, but yet it's for our good. But how could it be for our good? He was the goodest. They probably weren't super educated. Young boys. But here they are in this moment. And I just remember last year in my car reading the scripture, just weeping, thinking, what could be going through Peter and John's mind? Where's he at? They took his body. Literally, the only thing we had was the fact that we could tell stories, and, and he was in there, like, because they're literally thinking someone stole the body. Someone's playing a trick on us. Someone's done something. And I just am imagining all the things racing through their head. I can just imagine Peter, full tilt, just running, just thinking, like, where is he? 
can do. What does, what does she mean he's gone? What, what do you mean? The last, time, the, the last time he looked at me, I was denying him. I, I at least wanted to be able to sh- come to the tomb and just say, I'm sorry. What do you mean he's gone? Like, I need you to feel the weight of this moment. And it says that John only looks in. But look what happens when Peter shows up. It says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. And he also noticed the linen wrappings, wrappings lying there. While the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. I just need you to know that we serve a king who is so good and that killed death. That Jesus got put in the tomb, killed death, and made his bed on his way out. It doesn't get more gangster than that, y'all, okay? Literally made his bed. Let hell know that death has been defeated. But you know what I think? I think I still believe Peter and John missed it. I think the American church, I think we're in here today, and I think there's a lot of us, we just miss it. Because according to the scriptures, like, y'all, the whole situation with Peter, he sees an empty tomb. You'll see in a few minutes, he appears two times in a room with Peter, like, literally teleports. Door is locked. Peace be with you. That's what Jesus does. That's what the Bible says. He just shows up. Peter sees him twice in the flesh, the holes in his hands and in his feet. And then Peter leaves and goes back fishing. Like, I don't know if they're fully grasping. Like, they're like, okay, he is alive. He said he was going to be alive. But what does this fully mean? What does the resurrection actually mean for you and me other than the fact that we're Christians and we should dress up and bring our family to church on Easter because we believe in Jesus because we want to go to heaven when we die? The gospel is so much bigger than that. It's, yes, look, you believe in Jesus. When this life is over, you will be with him in glory. But Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep them safe from the evil one. If the goal of Christianity was for us to believe in Jesus and die and go to heaven, why in the world would Jesus pray, don't take them out of the world? He says, keep them safe from the evil one. Because there's a work to be done right now. There's a commission we've been given by the resurrected king. And so we can miss it. Mary missed it too. So you have that happen with Peter and John. They see the tomb empty. And I, I didn't plan this um, when, uh, when I was, you know, this whole idea of this is your homecoming. And it says, the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So now John goes in. This is in verse 8. Um, and he believed. Verse 9. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then verse 10 didn't know it even said this as we prepared for this is your homecoming. They went home. They went home. And not long after, um, uh, Mary would go, uh, or we see, I don't have the reference, but Mary goes in to the tomb, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she sees a gardener outside, and she is weeping. She's broken. And it's not a gardener. The Bible says who she thinks is a gardener. It's Jesus. And her, hand, her, her, her head is in her hands, and she's weeping. And who she thinks is a gardener says, why are you crying? And she says, please, sir, tell me where they've taken the body of my Lord. And it's Jesus. And he says, Mary, it's me. And she recognizes it. But I think Mary still has the same thing. Okay, he's resurrected, but they're still trying to grasp, like, what does this fully mean for me? Because I don't know about you. You've probably done it. I know I've done it. I'm crazy guilty of, as a Christian, to say, if I could have just been there, 
Like, if I could have just been there, the times that I doubt, I don't know if y'all ever doubt. Maybe I'm the only, like, struggling Christian in the room. But the times that I doubt, I tell myself, if I could have just been there, this whole, like, you know, I've been to church since I was a kid. Maybe that's your story. Maybe it's not. But all of us could be in this spot of going, if I could have just seen it, if I could have seen the holes in his hand, I would believe no problem. I wouldn't, like, young people would be like, I wouldn't be fighting my mom to go to church. I'd be like, oh, I've seen the resurrected Jesus. I've got to be there. Like, he's given me a purpose and a mission for my life. If I could just see it, I'd have no problem believing. But the Bible would strongly disagree with you. Strongly disagree with you. Jesus historically reveals his resurrected body to over 500 people. We have historical proof that he reveals himself to 500 people, holes in his hands and in his feet. 50 days later, so Jesus, he dies right there around Passover. 50 days later, there's another Jewish feast. It's called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, Jesus tells people, hey, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise, which is the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many people were in the upper room? Not 500, 120. So you're telling me that there's 380 people that saw the resurrected Jesus and they thought there was something better to do 50 days later? It only took them 50 days to be more preoccupied with something else? See, we can say, if I could just see it, I would believe it. But what happened to the 380? What happened? What were they doing that was so important that they've seen the resurrected Christ? And we see it happen with Thomas as well. So like I told you, the disciples are scared. They're hiding in a room. And it says Thomas is not with them earlier in the scripture. And then Jesus, peace be with you, right? He just shows up in the room. He talks with the disciples, and then he gone. And then look at John 20, starting in 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And at this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. In my side, Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then Thomas, probably what we would all do, my Lord and my God, y'all boys was telling the truth. Because that's what he told them. They were like, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. And Thomas wasn't with him. And he said, I won't believe unless I can see the holes in his hands and see his pierced side. I won't believe it. And so... Uh, Thomas sees it, and then look at verse 29. For everybody who's like, if I could just see, I'd have no problem. Jesus says, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus would actually say that there's a blessing on your and my life in this season to say, I believe in the resurrected Jesus, and I've never even seen him in, in physical form. There's a blessing attached to believing. And so remember for Peter still after that moment. So that's the, that is the second time that Peter, Peter sees an empty tomb. Peter sees Jesus appear once, and now he just saw Jesus appear second time. And after that is when Peter goes back to his old life, and he goes fishing. He's like, I, still just missing it, not wrapping his mind around the, like, you, are you guys with me? You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know about you, but if I saw the resurrected Jesus, I'm like, let's go. You killed death. I ain't scared of no Roman soldier. Let's go. Come on. Come on. I'm, I'm Jack at this point. Like, let's change the world. And Peter's like, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Got a world to change. You know what I mean? But for Peter, just, he didn't get it yet. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love Jesus. I'm going to go to church and check off the box, and God, God gives me like a little golf clap. Dude, God is not 
When we show up on Sundays, God's like, oh, thanks so much. Appreciate you. I think God's like, good, because that's actually better for you. I remember as a young person, wanted to live for God so bad and telling God, God, I'm so sorry. I'm struggling with reading my Bible. Forgive me, God. I'm so sorry. And I'll never forget sensing the Lord speak to me and say, why are you telling me sorry? You need the Bible, not me. I am the word. Tell, tell a future version of yourself you're sorry. Because this is everything that you need. And it just totally shifted my perspective that God isn't going, hey, I need you to read your Bible enough and check all these things off. No, it is when we get a revelation of the resurrected king and the life that he came to give us is that we live in the fullness of all that he has. The perspective changes. When you're at your job, it's no longer just a job that helps pay bills. It's literally an assignment from heaven where God has told you what he told the angel. Hey, when you're in there, make sure you tell your employee, including you. Including you. This is for you too. That friend that you've invited to church and they roll their eyes. You know those friends that you invite to church? Like the building will fall down if I go to church. Bruh, God does not love you that much to kill me because you walked up in a building a little jacked up, okay? I'm sorry. Like, just go ahead and bring your jacked up self in here and let Jesus do some stuff. But th th there's this thought where we can go, man, I just, I'm just going to kind of compartmentalize this. Like, yes, Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross and doing this for me. But I'm just kind of doing, no, no, no. When you say yes to the resurrected king, it intersects every area of your life. It is all colliding at one time, and you are on assignment. You're on assignment. And here's what I mean by that. So if we go back to Friday, Jesus is on the cross, and he says these three words in English. It is finished. But in Aramaic, it was not three words. Um, there's a statement to telestai, and he says it. And in the, the, the context of this word, it literally means for a work to be completed in full so that work can begin. I want you to think about this. Because we hear it is finished like, thank you, Jesus. All right, resurrected king. My sins are forgiven. Woo, going to heaven when I die. Now let's just go figure out this thing called life. No, 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 no. It is finished. And your pain and your shame and your regret and your sin is gone so that the work can begin, so that you and I can begin to push darkness back with light. We can bring hope to a hopeless world in every area, your job, every school, every neighborhood, every, your kids playing t-ball, man, you better show up on assignment. And look, nobody's asking you to be weird. I think the world is crying out for a bunch of Christians who actually believe who Jesus is, who he says he is, and we're normal, and we actually live this thing out. And people are like, wow, you have convictions, and you actually stick to them. Wow, you talk about being holy, and you really live holy, but you don't make anybody feel bad about it. I think that this is what the world is crying out for, a church that recognizes the real reason of the resurrected king. And so, it is finished so that it can begin. And here's what I think we've been missing. Peter and John run to the tomb and they step in. Mary, she shows up to the tomb and she steps in. They see it empty and vacant. And like I told you earlier, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. And can I tell you that when he walked out of that empty grave, he didn't walk out of his empty grave. Jesus didn't need one. He borrowed it. Do you know where I would be if I had to pay my own sin debt? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There is a payment for sin, and Jesus paid it, but Jesus is just good enough to kill death, because if I got put in that tomb, guess where I'd still be? In the tomb, because I can't pay the debt. The only thing that would pay it is I would be dead, and I would stay dead, but Jesus can pay it and come back to life and give us victory, and here's what I believe they missed. When they walked into that empty, vacant tomb, as they're trying to process, as we show up to church, and like, yeah, Jesus, 
Jesus, he is risen. You know, if you're in Israel right now on a day like today and you were a Christian, you would say, he is risen. And someone would respond, he is risen indeed. And we would be excited that he rose. But please don't miss what they missed for, for a little while. That empty grave is your empty grave. Your shame, vacated. Your past, it's been completely cleared and emptied. The, sh- the, the, the tomb is empty. It's gone. I don't know what you're in here carrying, what you could be thinking, like, I, I sense the love of God, but I'm still just battling this. Jesus defeated it, and he emptied the grave. He emptied my grave. Because I know if I was in there, it'd be full of darkness. The stone would not have rolled away. In John 20, verse 10, at the very end, it says, they went home. Can I tell you something? As we were preparing for this whole weekend and our team was praying over it, I believe that they did the right thing with the wrong revelation. I think they went home, but they missed the fact that their tomb was now empty. That it's not go home, it's all over, what do we do? It's Jesus finished the work that I couldn't finish so that now I can begin the work that must begin of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is what it means to worship a resurrected king. Jesus says it this way, and this, this can make us uncomfortable in the room, but I want you to understand. Jesus said, you will do, gra-, he said this to his disciples, you will do greater things than me. Excuse me? You raise dead people? You open blind eyes? Jesus said, you'll, you'll do greater things than me. And then he starts saying some stuff that sometimes Christians start like squirming. He says, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll speak in new tongues. You'll handle deadly serpents. Don't worry, we ain't bringing those snakes in here. I know, oh my gosh, it's one of those. There's a lot of context there. The deadly serpent thing has to do with the time that they lived in, and literally these were the carriers of the gospel, and people could move a jar and a poisonous snake bite them, and Jesus was literally saying, and you see it happen to the apostle Paul. He grabs a piece of wood when he's on the island of Malta. Poisonous snake bites him. Bible says he shakes it off. The people are like, oh, my gosh, you're going to die, and he never dies. He leads the entire island to Christ, and it's just this picture of Jesus saying, hey, when you're carrying my message, you're protected. When he says speak in new tongues, he's specifically talking about the book of Acts, when they begin to hear the gospel in all of their own language. When he's talking about healing and sickness, yes, we serve a God who heals. There is no way in heck I'm going to get up here and preach to you a resurrected Christ and then believe that Jesus can't heal physically. Amen? I mean, the majority of his ministry he was doing this. We can see this. And this is the assignment Jesus has given us, the resurrected king. So I think they went home, which was... The, the idea of like, okay, the work is finished, but I think they went with the wrong revelation. And my heart today is wherever you are in life right now is that you know your homecoming. Maybe you follow Jesus. Dude, I think there's some of us, you're like, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm surrendered to Jesus. But there is a new revelation of what it means to say, hey, he finished the work so that I can begin to carry the work that I am called to do. That Jesus died to give me this work of moving the gospel forward. But there's other people in the room. I believe 100% there's some people that are like, I need to come home. I want to give Jesus my life. My past does control me. The fear, the shame, the regret, the insecurity. Jesus defeated it, and he emptied it all out of the grave. Your grave. I want you to see how John finishes in John 20, 30 and 31. This is how he finishes this gospel. And remember, as John is writing this, it's after he has spent that time following Jesus, and he's going back through all of these things. And as I read this, I want you to know it's being read to you. So please understand, this is like someone writing you a letter. Read what the Apostle John wrote, John 20, starting in verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in in addition to the ones recorded in this book. 
But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. See, you could be in here today and be like, I believe all this. And I just want you to know a day like today, a service like today, scriptures like that are to remind you, keep believing. This was written so that you may continue to believe that he is who he says he is. But I would challenge everyone in the room, if you evaluated your life, how on mission do you live with preaching the resurrected Christ? And I want to be very clear when I say preach, I'm not asking you to go to work tomorrow and be like, hey, guys, everybody, before, um, before people start showing up, just listen up. I've got a sermon for you. No, no, no. I'm talking the greatest sermon you'll ever preach is the life that you live. Could people see you go through one of your darkest days and yet still have hope? Not in the world. A friend of yours go, I walked through a divorce just like you're walking through a divorce. How in the world do you still have peace like that? The resurrected king. The resurrected Jesus. I, 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 I had my kids doing crazy stuff, acting a fool when they were teenagers. And look at your young people. And you're, you're, just, you're just continuing to love them? Like, how are you treating them that way? Because the resurrected king, the resurrected Jesus. There's an assignment we've been given because of what Jesus did. And I believe that today is a day where some of us, man, it's time to really be reminded. And this whole weekend, I've talked about Peter a lot because I just think about here he is on the shore. Or here he is in the boat trying to fish, right? He catches nothing. Does anybody remember when Jesus meets Peter for the first time? Does anybody know what he was doing? He was fishing. Right answer. Does anybody remember how many fish he had caught that day? Oh. So you're telling me that when he went back fishing, he was in a boat all night, and the Bible says he caught no fish, and Jesus shows up on the shore. Mm. Sounds like Jesus is a savior of endless second chances and that he showed up Peter the first time when he was struggling and met him there. And then Peter ended up struggling again because I don't know about you. I've had moments where it's been good and God has shown up. And I have had some seasons where it's been difficult and I've struggled. But guess what? God still showed up. And Jesus shows up. And the Bible says Peter puts on his outer garment. Peter was fishing free, y'all. Puts on his outer garment and jumps in the water and swims 100 yards I don't know if you've ever tried to swim 100 yards. Me and Shauna had a gym membership, and we lived in Louisiana, and they had a pool, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do some down and backs. I was swimming for a long time, and I eventually went, I wasn't even halfway across this Olympic size pool. I said, oh, my gosh. Don't put, you definitely don't do what Peter did and put on more clothes and try to swim 100 yards. He makes it to the shore, which means there was something on the inside of Peter if that's Jesus. How in the world, he, I've already been in the room with him twice. Surely he knows that I've gone back. Surely he knows what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Is he really on my shore? Yes, he's really on your shore today. And Peter shows up on the shore, and Jesus has got fish already cooked because Peter couldn't catch it. Peter couldn't do it on his own, but Jesus could do it. And there's the things that you and I can't do. We couldn't do the saving. We couldn't do the providing. We couldn't do the forgiving. But Jesus did it. And Jesus sits on the shore with Peter and he reinstates him. Peter denied three times and then Jesus said, hey Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he puts Peter back in a place where now Peter knows I don't think about walking into the empty tomb and going, I denied him. I don't think about standing in the room when he appeared and I'm standing in the back going I don't even want to look at him because of what I did. And then eight days later, back in the room with the disciples and Jesus appears again and I could just see Peter 
here just looking down. God, I can't look at him. I want to, but I can't look at him. The last time he looked at me, I was in the middle of denying him. I can't do it. And then Jesus shows up on his shore and gives him a second chance because we serve a resurrected Jesus. This is the Jesus, including you, including you. Will you stand to your feet today? I believe that there's some people that are being reminded, including you, including you. This is not some religious thing we do to check off. This is life. If you're trying to live life without Jesus, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled because you were made by God and for God. And I'm telling you today, the good news of the gospel is I don't care where you've been or what you've done. He is calling you home. And if you're here in this room today, and I really sense this strong in my spirit by the spirit of God, there are many people who believe. But today, he is reinstating you to your assignment of making famous the resurrected Christ. In your world, wherever God has you throughout the week, that is your place and your assignment to make much of Jesus. God called us to this city and this place. People ask me and Shauna all the time, there's a lot of churches here. Why are you guys planting another church here? Did you know that Highway 90 had more churches per square mile than any other stretch of road in the United States of America in the 1990s? This highway right here. Did you know that now there are less people in all of those church buildings than there's ever been in the history since all these churches were built in the late 80s and 90s? Did you know that 49% of Santa Rosa County considers themselves no affiliation to any kind of faith? And did you know that Santa Rosa County specifically is one of the fastest growing counties in the nation and people are moving here in droves. There's people all over this room. This is not where you grew up. I've met a lot of you. God is doing something fresh and new. This is not our church. We need every church. You know what my prayer is when I drive past the two churches that you have to pass before you get here? I talk with one of the pastors. God, fill them all. God, fill them so much that literally all three of us has to talk to each other and go, hey, you guys are probably going to need to do another service while we're doing our other service because we're just trying to get everybody in here because people are coming to know the resurrected Christ and people are going out and changing the city. The city's flipping upside down. Young people are walking into high schools and high schools that were just littered with darkness just have young people who are just serving and worshiping Jesus. Like this is the, this is the heart of the gospel, that it would move through a city. And that the lost would be found. That people would come home. So I'm going to pray right now. The team's going to lead us. I'm going to be standing right over here. If you're in this room today and you're like, man, I just want to give my life to Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what it means. I don't do any saving, but I can point you to the one who does. I'd love to walk you through what that means. And I want you to know being saved is not a one-time event. You surrender your life to Jesus, but then it's this thing spiritually called sanctification we call it the voyage of becoming. You're going to go on a voyage of becoming more and more like Christ. And it's not going to happen overnight. And it's not magic. And it happens in the context of community and relationship. But I also would just like to say we've started doing something where we just let people know during our last song, we opened the altar down here. Some people are like, what is the altar? I don't know. It's just this piece of tile down here. What do you do to it? We don't do nothing to it. We try to clean it. But there's nothing spiritual. I just know that my life has been marked by moments at the altar. Like, growing up in church, I had a youth pastor preach messages like this. I know some of you, it's tough to, like, stay involved, and 
you know, God's trying to keep us out of hell. It's really hot in here. Um, I know it can be tough, but I don't remember every sermon I've ever heard in my life. But I remember every single moment I had at an altar where I just said, Jesus, do whatever you want to do. My life is yours. I can remember people coming around me and praying for me, my, my pastor coming and praying for me, just moments in his presence that marked me. And we're just going to be a church. We're going to create the space for you to be marked by the presence of God. And so I'm going to pray right now, whatever that looks like. If you're coming home for the first time, I'd love to talk with you. If you're coming home for the first time in a long time and you just want to find yourself at the altar, just saying, Jesus, I'm coming home. Jesus, I want my life to make you famous. Man, have that moment with him. And you can have that moment in your seat if that's what you'd rather. I just know for me there's just things that marked me as I stepped out. So right now, Holy Spirit, we just thank you in this room. Jesus, you are so present. You are so moving. God, your gospel is alive. God, it has pierced hearts today. And Jesus, I pray in this moment right now, God, that people are coming home, people are returning home. Because Jesus, we want to go on the voyage of becoming more and more like you, Jesus. And we pray it in your name. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.